Well, good morning. All right. Well, it's good to be back here. Um, I was here last week, and I heard Pat preach, Patrick preach. He did an awesome job. Um, but the week before that, I got to go, just so you know, I got to go to City Church, which is Justin's church. If you don't remember Justin, just think bow tie, uh, and you remember Justin. Um, and uh, it was outstanding. Uh, he, uh, unfortunately, to start my spring break, he, he was preaching through the seven deadly sins, and he started with gluttony, which was not a great start to my spring break, unfortunately. Um, but, um, but, you know, just seeing him, I, I, I felt like, you know, maybe I was going to, like, get a tick, like, going through what he's going through again. Uh, apparently, you know, they've rented Baywalk, which is right downtown there, and um, he's in the movie theater there, and uh, <laughs> apparently they started showing a 10 a.m. movie. Their service starts at 10 a.m., so all the greeters of the church had to, uh, hey, welcome, uh, welcome here. Are you here for the movie or for our church? <laughs> which I thought was hysterical. They didn't know who I was, so they asked me. And I was like, well, you know, let's see. Babe, what do you think? (laughs) Movie, church, what do you, you know, it's spring break. (laughs) I thought it was great. So, so, hey, we've been walking through this letter to Rome. And um, in this particular chapter, which is Romans 8, it is such a uh, thick chapter. In fact, 17 times, right? 17 times in this chapter, the word spirit um, is used. And uh, we've talked about this before. Sometimes we get nervous, particularly in our Reformed circles, in our Presbyterian circles. We talk a lot about God the Father and a lot about Jesus, but the spirit sometimes we don't talk about a whole lot. And, man, just read it. Go home today and read the entire chapter of Romans. It talks about the Holy Spirit. And so my question is to you this morning, what's your theology of the Holy Spirit? And what does that mean to you? Um, because we're only going to look at four verses this morning. We're actually going to go back um, a few verses because I actually skipped over these four. And this is Romans 8. And this is 14 and 15. I just want to start here by reading these two verses. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So here's, here's the point. And here's what I want to communicate this morning. The job of the Holy Spirit is to what? Is to assure you that you are a child of the King and you are loved. Do you really believe that? And if you believe that in your soul, what would next week look like for you? Um, Because if the Spirit of God is residing inside of you, because we know kind of the the job of the Spirit is essentially threefold, but you almost could use the word assure as an umbrella over all three of those. It's one, to regenerate your heart. So when you were converted, it's called to, it regenerates it, 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 it changes it. It's called to make you holy. And then to reassure you that you are a child of the king. Because we have so many different tapes that are going through our brains, I think. As you, know, as, as you guys you know, write me emails or come into my office and, and I just think about my own, you know, the tapes that I have going in my, in my mind. Um, so many of them doubt. You doubt yourself. You are always thinking, I don't know. I better make it. You know what this week has coming for me? I better 
show up and perform because that is ultimately what matters. Um, being on spring break this past, uh, or the week before last, um, we were getting a little wild and crazy. So after post 9 o'clock, the tailors decided to go bowling, right? And to go bowling post 9 o'clock in our Tampa Bay area, I didn't realize, but you get a, quite, quite the characters, right? In fact, we went three different times. I mean, that's how excited we got. You know, that's how crazy we are. And it's all you can bowl from 9 to 12, right? And uh, so this one particular evening, the girls decided to, you know, uh, not go. And the boys, the two boys and I went. And um, this group of college, I mean, and, you know, you're not thinking it's spring break, but it is. And and so where we were, all these college boys came in, and they were rowdy, right? And they were crazy and loud. And they were going to drink beer, and it was going to be bananas. And they were right next to us, right? And uh, so they had... This one crew, all different shapes and sizes. And there was this one particular guy that decided not to bowl, but he was a large fella with a loud voice. And he was hysterical, right? And any time one of his buddies got up there to bowl, he just had something funny to say, right? And so there's this one, he was a smaller, smaller, smaller guy in the crew. I think his name was Tony. And he got up there, and they're like, come on, Tony! Come on, you can do it, Tony, right? So Tony gets up there, he's kind of sheepish, and he bowls, right? And, uh, and, he, and he got like four pins down. And they're like, hey, Tony, that's not bad, four, four pins, and real loud, real loud. Tony's, you know, you kind of tell he's not feeling too good about himself. And then I think he threw a gutter ball the next time. And so we're doing it, Tony gets up again, right? And then all of a sudden you hear this, this loud voice say, hey, Tony, you don't believe in you. You believe in me believing in you, Tony. <laughs> it's awesome, right? <laughs> right? Don't believe in you, Tony. You believe in me believing in you. So Tony, I'm not kidding, right? Tony, he's kind of a smaller kid. Just, you know, boom. Strike. Goes bananas. The guys get up. They're going crazy, right? And you kind of see this whole countenance of Tony change, Right? He gets up there the next time. He's feeling strong. He's feeling, he's feeling confident. Here goes Tony. Tony, you know, he's he kind of his whole body language changed. Boom, here comes the ball. And he sees it go right down the middle. And I'm not, I'm not lying here. He turns around. And we could see him because we were right next to him. He turns around. The ball's halfway down the lane. He's like, strike. <laughs> it was a strike. It went crazy, man. And I just, you know, as I was thinking about, you know, Does it matter how you view yourself? Does it matter if someone else speaks life into you? Hey, Taylor, you don't believe in what you think about yourself. You believe in what I think you are. You know what? I wonder if that could change your life. Well, Tony got two strikes in a row. I don't know if he got a turkey, which is three. But you know what? You saw him change. This morning, I'm wondering if you believe that you are a son or a daughter of the king. And you really believe with that comes all the rights and all the privileges of being an adopted son or daughter of the king. Because if you believe that, if I believe that, I believe we are different. And here's what God wants to do. He wants to assure me and you that we are loved and that we are his child. Do you believe that? 
Let's go up one more time to those first, uh, those first two verses. The spirit you receive, starting in 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. If there's anything that you struggle with, if you were to follow the rabbit hole down and think, okay, why am I nervous? Why am I filled with anxiety about you fill in the blank? Why am I bitter towards this relationship? Why am I actually lying? I am lying to these people. Why would I lie? I'm not even telling the truth. And you think about your life and why you would do these things. And you think about the motivation behind that. You know what? Some of us say, I need to stop that. I'm a Christian at a basic level. You know what? Um, I'm just going to change my behavior. But the book of Romans says, look, if you really look at it, there's something that that is substituting for Jesus in your life. There's something in your life, in my life, that functions as a savior besides Jesus. And so you look at the motivation for you and for me to sin, and you think, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I will forgive. I won't be mad. I won't be mad. But it's like, it's like saying, I'm not going to say the word or think about giraffe. Giraffe. I'm not going to think about the word giraffe or the animal giraffe. What happens when you say that out loud? You inevitably think about that. It's just what happens. And somebody walks next to you and says, you know what? Yeah, that person... Um, you know, that person hurt me in a, in, a, in a way that was worse than the way of someone hurt you. And they said to you, you know what? And I'm just over it. I've forgiven that person. I'm free. And you think to yourself, why can't I do that? I mean, this person hurt, you know, uh, this person was hurt much worse than I've been hurt. And they just said they're, they're absolutely free. And they're free to actually enter, re-enter into a relationship. What is it? That person that you think has hurt you, that person that you think has robbed you of something that you had to have, it's a lie. It's, it's, It's a lie from Satan, and he thinks, I can hold up this entire family if I can get you to believe this lie. If I, can, if, I can, if I can stop you from forgiving, I can hold up a whole family. I can. A whole marriage. I can stop it. A whole friendship, a whole group of friends. If I have people thinking, you know what? I'm going to harbor right this bitterness. And then we see Jesus, um, and we hear Jesus echoed through this um, passage. And by him, what do we cry? If we're honest, here's what our spirit cries. Abba, Father. So if you read John 17, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He uses this exact language, Abba, Father. And if you notice, the disciples in that particular passage are amazed that Jesus would use the term Abba, right? I mean, what's the significance of Paul writing in this passage, Abba, Father? Because in the Aramaic, it means, right, it means essentially Papa. Fundamentally, one of child first begins to reach out to their mother, right? Or think about when a, when a child first begins to reach out to their grandfather or grandmother or their father or their mother, and they're first told the name of their parent. Here's what we know. 
universally that whatever the name is, it has to be a syllable that what? Does not need teeth, right? It doesn't. Abba, Papa, Mama. You don't need teeth. This is what you said in Aramaic if you were born into this culture. You said Abba. You don't need teeth because fundamentally... Here's what we know, that as infants that have no teeth, there's something fundamental and universal that you were born into that you are looking for a papa. You and I are looking for an Abba that what? That will not let us down. We want someone who will always be there. We want someone who can do anything, who will love us regardless, who loves us unconditionally. And I want to say this, that, you know, if my kids reached out just for me and for my wife, Lou, you know, once they're born and that's all they do is just reach out for us, what, what do the scriptures say about us? They will never, ever find the desire of their hearts. That's what the scriptures say. If your goal as a mom or a dad is to get your kid to just reach out to you and you, for, and you to meet all their desires, fundamentally, that is anti-Bible. That is anti what God has born us into. And so when all of a sudden God said, or, or the disciples, and, and, or excuse me, Jesus said, Abba, what is he saying? He's saying, God the Father, you are the one. You are the ultimate desire of my heart. Are you kidding me? It's not Mary. It's not Joseph. They're, they're your earthly mother and father. And Jesus said, no. I cry out Abba. Because that is the one. That is the true one. That with all confidence, I know my heavenly father. And the intimacy with which a little one wants to what? Grab their father or mother. There is nothing like watching pick up here. Or uh, pick up um, uh, for the preschool. Two, three, four-year-olds, every single day, Monday through Friday, you watch. You watch a boy hold his father's hand when they walk to their car. You watch a three-year-old run into the arms of his mom. I mean, they're just grabbing their mom, right? Here's what I know. When I run into the arms of my mom, she never, ever drops me, ever. And some of us, earthly, we have this earthly thought, like, I am going to be the parent that never drops the kid. Or... We think the goal is to have a parent who never, ever drops me. And what we know is that the only one who can do that is the Lord. And a lot of our lives, and you know who you are, have been distorted and been ruined because of this mistake in your theology and in my theology. And we think, you know what, my dad better do this and my mom better do that, or I better be that father, or I better be that mother, and we spend so much emotional capital, so much time thinking it's got to be this way, and what Paul is saying is, wait, 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 no, that is only meant for the perfect one. Some of us in this room are incredibly bitter and unhappy because what? You have failed to be the perfect father. You have legitimately failed to be the perfect mother and you have let your kids down and you think, man, I've just blown it. This was the singular goal. And the Spirit's job in this passage is to try to tell you and me, you know how angry you are at your mom? You need to know this. 
they were always just stand-ins. They were always simply substitutes. And for some of us, maybe they were pretty good substitutes, but that's all they were. And Paul is saying, you can't live that way. Do you want to be free? Are you embittered? Do you, are you trying to be the perfect father or have the perfect father or mother or be that? You cannot live that way. And so Paul says in verse 15, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave because there's some slaves in this room. And your barometer, your point of reference is that. There's, I mean, think of how powerful this is. The most, I think, powerful of all of Jesus' parables is the prodigal. And do you remember what he said? Do you remember what he said on the way back after he had spoiled all of his goods? He said, well, maybe my father will take me back. I know he's not going to take me back as a son, but maybe he'll take me back as a servant. So I'll go back. Because here's what I know. That time with my dad, my, my blood dad, is now not like family time, it's company time. And here's what I want to be now. I know I've blown it. And so I'm an employee. I'm no longer a son. I'm no longer a a daughter. I am an employee. And I hope my dad, as my employer, sees my, uh, uh, my performance as acceptable. And maybe I can live in the guest quarters out back. And that's the story of the prodigal. And Jesus is saying, you know how wrong that is? And Paul is saying to the church at Rome, do you know you're succumbing to the power of Rome and to performance and you're not living the way I want you to live? He says, Father, I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me, he says, one of your hired hands. And the father will what? He will have none of it. You're not my employee. You're my son. I don't care what you do. I don't care you struck out. Get over here, pal. I don't care what you've I know you lied to me. I know you got straight D's. I know you didn't get into there. I know you got pregnant at 16. I know you got divorced. I know you got an abortion. I know you've done all these things. I know you're addicted to these pills or to that substance. I know. You come here. Because the point is that you are accepted. And the root of the issue, and I think a lot of our issues, is do you believe you're accepted? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? That we are God's children. Do you fundamentally believe it? Because I tell you what, if we change this, I think we change the world. You know, if you look at verse 15 there, it says, The Spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you don't live in fear again. And if you look at that verse all the more, I think what you're going to see is that We are born looking for someone who will love us unconditionally. But in this particular verse, the Spirit works and fights alongside us, right? And this is sanctification. And so here's here's what we know. Part of what Jesus or what the Spirit does is if you're fighting, um, let's say you're fighting an addiction. Let's say you're fighting addiction to alcohol. Let's just say that. The Spirit of God says, hey, I just want you to know, buddy, you don't need that. You don't, I know you want it. I know you've done this, but you don't need it. You, I don't want you to be a slave to that. You have the power inside of you, and I am your paraclete. That's what the Spirit is also called, this friend who comes along next to you. You don't need it. It's like a good buddy. You don't need this at all. Um, you, don't, you, you, you have forgotten who you are. Remember, 
You are a son of the king. Your last name has changed. You think, the, you think the last name Taylor means a lot? It means nothing compared to what it means to be Christian, to be a son of the Most High. And so we know that you work alongside of the Spirit. And you know what? Here's the hard part about sanctification here. We know some of you failed this week because sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes when you work alongside of the Spirit, and don't let anybody tell you in the Christian life that you won't fail. That's terrible theology. A lot of people think when you walk in here, if I receive Christ, here's what, here's what I get. I get the victorious Christian life. Now, that's not to say there isn't victory for you, but some of us think, well, then I need to win all the time. You have the capability of doing that through the Spirit. But we know, Paul says in Romans 7, right, I, I do a lot of things I shouldn't, and I don't do a lot of things I should, so I don't always win. And so sometimes you win, and sometimes you lose. But, verse 16, this is what I want to emphasize this morning all the more. It says this, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is something completely different than the Spirit that comes along and fights alongside of you. This is something separate from you. What Paul is saying is, there's another function of the Spirit. And he works outside of you. It, you know, the word in, in the Greek means uh, it's, it's for like symmetry or symmetrio, which is basically a painting of a courtroom. And it would be like this. And I had a, I had a friend who was accused of um, sexual inappropriateness at an after-school program. And because a lot of his co-workers didn't want to say anything, he was accused by a certain family of being inappropriate with this elementary school child. And he, you know, he was, was beside himself. He was just, I mean, in the tank. I didn't do it. I don't know why. I don't know what this family's trying to do. I don't know what the vendetta is, but I did not do it. But, you know, in these settings, many times it's just their word against your word. And you could see him almost drowning. Like he did not want to live. I've been accused of this. I didn't do it, Frank. I promise you, man, I didn't do it. I don't even know if you'll believe me, but I promise you I didn't do it. Weeks went on, right? And it's like this. Weeks went on, and then finally, you know what happened? He gets a call from the sheriff's department saying, we got a call this week from one of your coworkers. And you know what your coworker said? They didn't want to talk about it because they were nervous, but they said they were there. And they saw you in this particular day. You know what they said about you? You did nothing. You did absolutely nothing. They were a witness to what? To you. And they vindicated you. And with that, um, the charges were dropped. And what Paul is trying to say is sometimes, here's what happens. And you cannot control this. The Spirit of God comes alongside of you and says, you know what? You are a child of the King. You know when the song comes on the radio that you know you need to hear? And you think, oh, that's a cute coincidence. It's not. It's the Spirit of God testifying to you. You need to hear this today. You know when you get that text message that you weren't expecting from your husband or your wife or your mom or your best buddy that's saying, hey, look, I know you've got a tough day coming. I am praying for you. You know what that is? That's the Spirit, in verse 16, coming alongside of you, testifying with, you, with your spirit, hey, 
Here's what you are, Frank. You're a son of the king. You're not just some, you know, ragamuffin church planner that's hoping to try to make it. You know? I mean, I saw the look in Justin's eyes as he's getting to church going. He's doing an awesome job. But I know that the spirit of God is coming. I know you're in a movie theater. He's saying to him, I know. I know you got to ask movie or church. And it sounds stupid. You're doing it. You're preaching God's word. The spirit comes alongside of you and he says, look, you are a son. You are a daughter. I know that you thought you randomly turned to that passage in the Bible. No. That that person comes up to you at school and says that. That is the spirit of God testifying to you. No, no. You're, you're a son. You're a daughter. You are loved. That you are my child. And here's the thing about assurance is you can't generate it. Because some of us see that and they think, okay, you know what? Oh, one of my problems is, is I need to go to a church that does more worship. Because when they sing happy worship songs, that's when the Spirit testifies. And you go back to that service and you try to, to, to replicate it and it doesn't happen. Because you cannot control when the, when the Spirit does this. Oh, I'm going to go to a Presbyterian church. They open the Bible more and I learn more about the Bible and the, and the Spirit testifies there. So this is what I need to do. I just need to read tons of the Bible. But no, you don't know when God is going to testify in this unique way like a witness to what he's doing. Oh, I need to go to this, you know, uh, this particular church that, 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 that emphasizes promise keeping and behavior. Because last week I went there and I had a better week. No, you can't. Because the Spirit works when the Spirit wants to work. It's like, if you read this Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You tell me, can you harness the wind? Can you make the wind happen? No. The wind happens when the wind happens. And we lost our sophomore game because the wind started blowing in and we couldn't hit it out. And I was frustrated. <laughs> you cannot harness the Holy Spirit, but you know what? The Spirit of God works when it wants to. And what we want to do is to be open and to be able to identify it. And so the Spirit of God, what? The Spirit of God comes alongside and testifies with your spirit that we are God's children. When has God done that for you? When has he done it this week? Own it. Right? When did you not see something coming? You thought, oh, that's random. That is not random. That is the pro- within the providence of God. That's God trying, that's him testifying through his spirit that you are a son of the king. And maybe you need a reminder this morning. You're a daughter of the king. And you thought, you know what? I'm a function of my looks. That's all I am. I am a body. <laughs> that's it. People like me because of my looks or because of my ability to do whatever. And that is a lie. But the Spirit of God comes alongside and says, verse 17, Now if we are children, then you know what? We are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. We live like that. Kids with an inheritance. It doesn't matter. We are good. We are going to receive that. We are adopted and we are royalty. I tell you what, I think we will change the world. I think you're different. I think marriages change. I think friendships change. I think, you know what? When you see the Spirit of God working in someone's heart, you say, I want to talk, I want to talk through this with you. One of the things that we're going to do is start a five-week series on Easter, and we're going to do a big mail-out. You'll probably get it at your house. 
because we know that there are people that are asking hard questions and we're going to answer five of the hardest questions that I think people ask five straight weeks starting on Easter Sunday. And um, when you hear the Spirit testify as far as what God has done in your life and you feel that acceptance and that surety, you know what I think you're emboldened to do? Is to share your faith. And we want you to feel that confidence and to come to church on Easter and to invite some friends. And we're going to ask or ask and answer some hard questions. Because I think once we're fully accepted and we are secure, I tell you what, um, we know what our last name is. And we know the inheritance is coming. I love this story. I'm going to end with this story. It's in the, it was in the Washington Post, September of 2009. It began, in the, uh, the article began with this. The king folds her own laundry. Chauffeurs herself around Washington in a 1992 Honda and answers her own phone. Her boss's phone, too. This was an article about Peggy Lean Bartels. And she was a secretary to the Ghana embassy in Washington for 30 years. And she's originally from Ghana. From Otum, it's a city of about 7,000. This 90-year-old king of Otum, Otum, Ghana, died. And the elders did what they always did. They performed this ritual to determine the next king. And they prayed, and I guess they poured schnapps on the ground, it says, while they read the names of the king's 25 relatives. When steam rose from the schnapps on the ground, the name that they were reading at the moment would be the new king. And that's exactly what happened when they read Peggy Lean's name. So now, after that ritual, Peggy Lean is a king. She is a king. Yes, not a queen, but a a king. And she pointed this out to the elders. Hey, I'm a woman. And they replied by saying the office of a king is the post that was open. You are a king, all right? So she goes back to Ghana, and she's got a driver, and she's got a chef, and she's got an eight-bedroom palace. She has power to resolve disputes, appoint elders, and she manages more than a thousand acres of family-owned land. I'm a big king, you know, she told the reporter. And when she returned for her coronation, they carried her through the streets. She even wore a heavy gold crown. The reporter wrote, in the humdrum of ordinary life, people periodically yearn for something unexpected, some kind of gilded escape delivered perhaps by an unanticipated inheritance or a winning lottery ticket. Peggy Lean got the unexpected. Do you know that this is what's offered to us? That we will all receive this. Now, it may not be fully here right now, but it's here for us, legitimately. Are you a son or a daughter? Because you know what it's easy for us to live as? Oliver Twist or the orphan Annie. We can fully believe that we are just an orphan, not wanted by anybody. The God of the universe says, I am your Abba. From day one, when you didn't have any teeth, and all you could say was mama or papa, I am that. All that you have desired for. I am made, you were made for me. Do you believe that? If that was baseline vitals, if that was at the rock, or at the foundation of, of where we live, I tell you what, Paul knew it would change Rome. Because people then didn't care. You kill me, Rome. Kill me, Caesar. I don't care. 
Here's what I know. My inheritance is, is for sure, is yours. Or do you feel like you need to perform? You need um, to relate to your father in heaven like it's on company time. Because you better show up and perform. No, he says, just be you. Be honest. And come to me freely. And let's change the world. Amen? All right, let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, you know my own heart. I act as an orphan. I think that when I talk to you, it's on company time where I've got to perform in a certain way. Kill that inside of me, God. We know that the root of so much sin is just simple acceptance. Feeling like we have to justify our own existence. But God, Jesus justified it because he was perfect. And all of those perfect works are given to me. Thank you. That is, that is a game changer. You are Abba. You are Papa. Thank you for that unconditional love, Father, in your name. Amen.